when you have the Phoenix Theatre Company icons held captive in their own environment, do you dare push the envelope and ask for yet another podcast interview? You do if you're me. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Terry Summers Podcast on the road. Um, you guys are going to be super jealous when you know, one, who I'm interviewing and where I'm actually um, recording this podcast. I have um, the honor and privilege and really blessing to be um, Creekside in Sedona, Oak Creek specifically, with someone who is now one I consider a dear friend, um, Vincent Van Vliet. Now, let me just go off for a second on that name. That is a Hollywood name, Vince, if there was ever a name. You need to be a, a hubba hubba super big star with a name like that to pay homage to the fact that your folks gave you that. But I just asked you, we'll get into how I know Vince in a second, but I just asked him, what is the heritage behind Van Vliet? And you say it's Dutch. It is Dutch. Um, uh, well, obviously on your father's side, is your father, uh, uh, how, how does that come? How did that come through to your generation? Oh, I did, uh, not exactly sure. I did, uh, 23 and me and found out that my heritage is actually Neanderthal. Uh, get out of town. It's very rare. Uh, only one in 500 people have Neanderthal, uh, blood or DNA, uh, because they are not, they're prehistoric humans. So they're not technically part of the same uh, uh, human race Got- as, as oh modern humans. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, this is going to send me down a deep dive when I get home so I can look at that. So, I, I am, uh, you know, up here hanging with you guys uh, regarding another project, but um, in, in spending time with you, this I've been wanting to have you, as you know, for we've been talking about it off and on almost since I started the podcast, just trying, but you are a busy, busy man, but in ways that might also surprise a lot of people. Like you spin so many plates and I love that about you. You're intriguing to me because of that. I, and, and, and as I get to know you more, even more so, there is such a depth of character in you that, um, that I know comes in and from your family and your rearing I've met and been around your folks just briefly, but I, they're people that I just want to hang with. So if they're listening, I want to come see you. Um, <laughs> I met you more than 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly where in that. Maybe 23 is she? Would you think that'd be fair to say, 23? Yeah, because you were originally involved with Cookie Company back in the day, I believe. Which, yes. When Alan Pruitt was at the theater and we had our children's Right. Uh, oh, yeah, running, for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, parallel to our professional Right, theater, yeah. So. And I had done um, stuff with Michael Mitchell, but you weren't around when my, in Michael Mitchell days. Michael so. Mitchell hired me. Okay, duh. Okay, that well, then the, I maybe have known you almost since. That was the last year. Uh, Michael Mitchell brought me in, and that was the uh, last year that he served as artistic director. 
Uh, he left uh, late in the season that year to become the artistic director uh, at Fulton Opera House. Yeah, I do remember. What is your title at Phoenix Theater Company? The Phoenix Theater Company. I'm it's now, had some name changes, and I'm old school, so I'm still catching up. Give give me a break. You didn't I'm, call it Phoenix Little Theater. So I d- oh no 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 <laughs> I, I did I did break myself of that habit years ago. Yeah, um, I'm the executive director at the Phoenix. What Theater does that Company. mean? So, uh, my title has changed uh, over the years as the organization has grown. Uh, now I really handle uh, uh, oversight of uh, the all of the operational aspects of the company. So. Uh, simply put, Michael uh, manages the, the programming, the education programs and the programming that you see on stage, but I oversee all of the people that uh, make the administration of that and make Michael's artistic vision come to life on stage and off in the community, etc. So uh, I oversee marketing and fundraising, uh, board uh, uh, recruitment and relations, uh, financing, the, the strategic plan and strategic vision for the organization, which is built around Michael's artistic vision Got for the it. company. Got it. So it's it's really the deployment of all of the resources that make Michael's vision for a modern regional theater con- company come to life. Now, so the other night when we were just hanging out and having dinner and visiting, I asked you if this was, if where you are right now was anything in the path of what you might have envisioned for yourself or dreamed of when you were younger and you gave me a brief answer and said essentially I uh, yes I always knew I wanted to be in theater from the time I was four years old uh, <laughs> growing up on a dairy farm uh, I just knew the theater is where I wanted to be now and don't let that slip by y'all folks grown up on a dairy he grew up on a dairy farm and we're going to circle back to that in a minute but I love to hear that that was in you and you knew at four years old um and as you saw yourself move forward as you as you aged and you schooled and you got education what was the jumping point so you went to college yes yeah, I went to Barra College, which is uh, became uh, part of DePaul University outside okay. of, uh, North Shore of Chicago. Okay. Uh, and studied? There. Uh, I studied acting and directing. Oh, uh, wow. They didn't have traditional stage management programs at the time that are now in most university theater programs. So I studied acting and directing, kind of focused on uh, the directing and stage management side of things. Okay. Uh, I was a terrible actor. Nobody wants to pay to see that on stage. So uh, <laughs> I, I was pointed uh, well by my mentors quickly. So. So when you really stepped professionally into the theater world, you did it in the realm of stage management? I did. So I was stage managing very quickly in college and uh, kept getting more and more opportunities. My mentors kept sending me opportunities. And within my first year, uh, the, the chair of the theater program there, Carla Koskinen, asked me if I would uh, work on the university's uh, summer Shakespeare Festival. It was a free Shakespeare Festival. Chicago has a few of them. And she was the artistic director and she wanted me to come on board to assist in stage manage uh, at the professional theater uh, Shakespeare Festival. Brought in professional actors from Chicago so it wasn't just uh, uh, college students. Right. It was a professional cast. Oh, wow. That was done on the grounds of the college. And how old were you at the time? I would have been 19. Wow. I love that because when we did have discussion, you said that you did sense a feeling even as young as four that you would be a, like leading and you mm-hmm. are a leader and you know, you have to me, um, you have a warmth about you, but I feel like a leader is someone that you will f- 
want to follow, you know, that they aren't dogmatic, but that you want to follow them. And I feel like your warmth comes into play. Um, so at 19 years old, you're in that kind of position with professional people. Did you ever feel like at any point in your career, wait a minute, this might be more than I uh, thought I was biting off? Or have you always felt equipped to step into the various roles that you've been in? I always felt equipped. That doesn't make anyone less um, secure, I guess. Mm. Uh, the you know the that energy and uh, anxiousness or anxiety around learning something new or being around people that are your mentors and wanting to do well was always prevalent. It didn't. They're they're not uh, mutually exclusive, I guess. You can be a leader and. Uh, have the same insecurities that everybody has uh, in everyday life. I love, I don't love that people have insecurities, but I love that because that's so human, you know, and I, and, um, and when people are able to say that, I think it puts everybody in the room, proverbial room at rest because I love, I, I, even though I don't want my insecurities, I kind of love them because I think they make me sensitive to other people. Mm-hmm. And if we can't be that, then we're kind of screwed in life a little bit. Pardon me. But the charming, and I don't mean to, not in a diminishing way. I mean, like in the biggest way of the word charming is learning some of your um, upbringing. Mm -hmm. Um, It speaks to the earthiness of you that I really didn't know till I got to hear a little bit more. I mean, I knew where you were born and came from, and I even knew there was farming involved. But you grew up on a dairy farm. Do you want to give us just a, uh, a little peek into what that was like? Yeah. Uh, grew up, uh, we had about 120 uh, head of cattle on a 250-acre uh, dairy farm. So, you know, from the time we could walk, um, all of us kids had jobs that were required. So at five years old, it was not only feeding cows, but, you know, I was driving tractors in the field, raking hay, you know, tractors are different sizes. So my dad had a, a little bitty tractor <laughs> for us kids that, you know, we would get out in the field and rake hay and, and help plant crops. And, and uh, so it was a, a, a very busy upbringing. Okay. Um, and... Uh, I would say that it was really important from a family unit perspective that everybody contributed to the whole family. So we learned early on uh, not only how to contribute, but how to, how to be present and how to participate and uh, understand the immense responsibility we had to oh, care man. for all kinds of animals on the farm that right. were completely reliant on us seven days a week. Right to take care of their well-being. So as I see you manage so many things, I mean, you gave a, a, a list just in the role that you serve at um, the theater. And then we haven't even opened up the door to the other parts of your life and your world. I can't ignore the fact that that growing up season of being on the farm had to have instilled in you the work ethic that I know. I mean, you are... You are one of the busiest people I've ever met. I mean, you, you and Michael, and, and, and I've had Michael on the podcast as well. Um, you have, there's this through line there 
that is I recognize in the both of you, but individually separating you from that commonality with him, um, you there's a drive in you, but it also just seems super natural for you to do a lot of things. And as I hear that you participated in this family unit and you understood the responsibility, that has to have a bearing foundationally in how you live. Am I right in assuming that? Absolutely. To this day, even, you know, my parents lost the farm in the, in the 1980s um, uh, when inflation hit an all-time high. And, you know, farms were reliant on uh, bank loans for working capital because they have, you know, one season of making money, right. essentially, right. Uh, once they harvest, assuming, you know, drought or sure. rains or whatever didn't take the right. crops. So when inflation went to an all-time high, my parents lost the farm, and then we had to contribute in different ways. Uh, we were able to stay on the on the property, and um, which was uh, a sizable piece of property, right? Uh, it was. They, my parents, were able to secure the house in five acres. Okay. Um, uh, you know, after they lost it, and they still live there to this day, uh, in the house that I grew up in. Oh wow! Um, so they have the barn and the buildings and right and whatnot, uh, but really because we grew up so poor uh, again the, as a family unit we all had to contribute to the household so I was working jobs when I was 11 years old I was stocking a bar down the road uh, bagging ice uh, cleaning bathrooms I was picking sweet corn in the fields by hand uh, and selling it at a roadside sweet corn stand uh, all because I needed to help pay for my school clothes and my school supplies and um, you know, help the household be able to, you know, move forward. My dad took a job, uh, you know, straight away after they lost the farm in construction and he was making $8 an hour and supporting a wife and five kids. Mm. So it really uh, was important that all of us participated in helping the household. I, I, um, I'm so tickled that you're opening your life to me and my podcast listeners because it is very inspirational. And and we're in a time in this world, not to get, you know, I'm not going to lean far into it, but where I'm not sure that anyone totally understands that kind of heart and ethic, you know? I mean, the new, the, the kids, the, the kids these days, you know, but I just think they're, but what what comes of that? And I don't know the hard work that you're explaining, my even my upbringing, though it was humble. Um, I don't know that. But what comes from that is something that you can't buy anywhere. You know, you can't get through college the way that it has educated you and carved into you this these qualities that you possess and that we get to we meaning those of us around you, whether we're up close and personal or just under your leadership that we get to share in. You do share stories about, just in quips kind of moments, about how active your father is. And um, and you sh- share sweet things about your mom and dad. And I love that so much. That speaks, again, so much to you. But you're, you're a skilled carpenter. Mm-hmm. Did you pick that up underneath your father's? I did. Uh- the, growing up, we grew up in a 150-year-old farmhouse. There was always problems with it, as you can imagine. Right. And um, so uh, at a very young age, 
you know, my father bought me my first hammer and uh, it was just one of those things where we had to maintain the house and maintain the buildings on the property and fix things up or tear them down and rebuild them. So that was an ongoing part of my upbringing. And I think I also had a curiosity at the time too. So uh, God helped the poor repairman that came to our house because he had like a 10 year old following around <laughs> wanting to learn what he was doing. So the phone guy got to know me really well. And I, at 11, I was wiring telephone wires. <laughs> Uh, around the house because I could because I wanted to learn it so um, yeah I think it was both the opportunity to learn and that like inherent curiosity of how how do you build that yeah I want to know like the nuts and bolts of that yeah and that has stayed with me to this day and and I and I don't I want to, I I don't want to tell your story for you, <laughs> kind of because I talk a lot. But but even metaphorically speaking, how do I build that? How do I make this work? That template for things with wood and nails and hammers. Actually, I see, and I'm sure you do too. I know it's, I, I'm not discovering something new, but I see that template that you apply that almost in every business area, theater included in your life. Just a little bit back to your dad. Uh, um, we were uh, visiting yesterday and you had a phone call with him and you said, yeah, he put, um, he put uh, the, uh, a, 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 he re-roofed a reed, whatever part of it. And I'm going to say, wait, just a second. Say that one more time. Cause your dad, I don't think, hope he doesn't mind. Can you tell us the age range he is? You don't have to call him out. My dad is 75. He's going to be 76 uh, this fall. It's and just crazy. The, once again, the 150-some-year-old farmhouse uh, had, uh, you know, needed a section of the roof reshingled, and so he got out on the roof and and yesterday reshingled his roof. I mean, I am so tickled that he is in that kind of physical health and mental health and has that drive to do that. But he takes on projects. So, like when we were coming here. Um, and I've, you know, been blessed enough to come and visit you before up here, but there's a, a, a driveway that you kind of dip through. So when there are heavy rains that gets covered and there used to be a rickety bridge. And I asked, I remember asking, asking you one time, well, what happens when it, that the drive is, can you not get out of here? And you go, well, that, or just pray you can make it o- over the rickety bridge. But coming this way the bridge didn't look so rickety and that's because your dad rebuilt it this past march got a crew together and uh, completely uh, rebuilt uh, every part of the bridge so that it was able to be used by cars to get off uh, the island here in in sedona uh you know when the waters rise right that, that wash does flow right and so that's the only escape route so it was it was unusable for three years wow because it was in such terrible shape. right so now it is safe and uh, able for for thank you dad cars and pedestrians to escape and i know that you and your dad have done some remodeling at your home and he's and i just am so like i really do want to hang and visit with those kinds of people you know, they're the salt of the earth as we know the adage to be. And, um, you know, I'll just pray that my life takes a, a turn and an opportunity to get to hang with your folks. I really, I really hope that. They're Some, out every winter uh, staying with us for two months. Okay, well, the then I'm going to so. put it in my book that I will hound and maybe cook dinner or something. That would be That'd super be awesome. fun. So let's just go ahead and swing as far around on this. Uh, uh, aerial view of your life. You also have 
a real estate bug that is uh, ha has made a little bite in your bottom in so many words. And whatever you'd like to share about that, I think it's sheer brilliance of creating a life beyond in the days ahead. And you're kind of doing that. You want to share a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, people that know me well know that I have a small real estate addiction. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, it started back in, gosh, it was 2010 at the bottom of the housing crash. Right. Michael and I had been saving up for several years to try and, and buy a, a new house. And of course, 08 happened and the fallout happened and we were like, we're just going to take a step back and, and we're not going to uh, jump in. And because every house we were bidding on, we were getting outbid in five seconds uh, yeah. with multiple bidders. So we just thought the market was too hot. So, you know, fortunately for us, we just kind of uh, put a halt on our search. So fast forward a little bit. By 2010, we were kind of at the bottom of the, the housing market and... I do also have a thing about fixing up houses. So I was constantly ripping out parts of our house and fixing it up and making it better. And, and uh, you know, we had added on a kitchen, we had added on an office, and uh, Michael was done with construction. <laughs> he, said, he said to me, um, uh, you know, if you rip one more thing apart in this house, I swear to God. <laughs> and so I was like, huh, I'm at the end of the road here. So I don't, I don't know what possessed me, but I called a board member who was a real estate agent and I said, find me something <laughs> that I can tinker on. And he said, uh, you know, have you thought about a, you know, a multifamily home, like a triplex or okay. a fourplex? And I was like, sounds perfect. It's like three or four in one. So he <laughs> took me out and I, I found this property in Phoenix. It was a triplex. And... Now, let me just tell you something. It was in rough shape. Uh, uh, to explain at one point when I was working on it, I grabbed hold of the, like a, a pipe that was in the wall, like a cast iron pipe that was the sink drain, and it broke off in my arms inside the wall. Oh, <laughs> so for goodness sake. It okay. was in rough shape. But, uh, you know, before I got that far, just I closed on it, was very excited, called Michael, uh, wanted him to come over and see it, and he, you know, drove over. He got out of the car and his face went stone cold white <laughs> looking at it. And he turned to me and said, what the bleep did you do? <laughs> and probably not bleep. <laughs> so uh, I spent the next, and I didn't know everything, but I had, you know, uh, friends that were in construction that were willing to come over and teach me how to sweat copper and, and, you know, wire things up. And so it was just kind of that fearless naive this sounds like fun uh thing and so i spent the next five months fixing every unit up and making this apartment really uh, uh, like three unit uh triplex really sparkle and then i rented it out and um uh the tenants loved it wow and so at that point michael was like oh, oh i see where you're going with this maybe maybe we should do a few of these together so we, you know, once that property was fixed up and, and money was coming in, we went shopping for another property and, and then two properties. And so we were able to, to get a handful of properties that were 
in our portfolio that we fixed up and rented out, and then we hung on to them for about 10 years, just until last April. Oh, wow. Um, when the market was at uh, high before yes. we traded them in on uh, some properties that are more aligned with our future strategy, as you teed up at the top of the, the podcast, the, the idea of, you know, what's after... Uh, theater for us what's after you know in our retirement years so we wanted to kind of tee ourselves up to be in a place that um, you know we could be comfortable working in nonprofit all of these years there's not retirement traditional right. retirement programs right. there's not pensions there's right. not the kinds of things that you get when you work for a for-profit company right and so uh, we started investing in some property in uh, Sedona. Yeah. And this is kind of where we want to be. Yeah. Uh, in retirement anyways. We love it up here. And so we've been able, we've been fortunate to find some some good deals and some great properties up here that we've been rehabbing and, and really inviting guests, because um, they're short-term rentals, inviting guests in uh, to be able to enjoy Sedona the way we've enjoyed Sedona all of these years. So. Yeah. And you, um, you, you really have given those of us that have had a chance to come and just see what you're doing. You've given us a peek into a part of your lives, but also just the beauty of this part of Arizona. You know, I mean, I've traveled up here a handful of times for, you know, over the years that I've lived here, but, uh, this particular area that you guys are in and, and, you know, I, I know that your that this goes, it's quite extensive what you've created and what you're in the middle and the throes of. It really is a full-time job all on its own. And that's what I mean, people. Listen to me. This this Vincent Van Vliet, V times three, he is a workhorse, all that you are doing. And it is just so, you know, impressive sounds a little cheesy, but it really is impressive, Vince. It's, um, it, I, I am so proud of you. Gosh, I can't. I feel like a dork. Some of the words that I, I keep saying that don't quite encompass it. But as you look out, thank you for so graciously sharing and catching us up. And and, and I know inspiring people. You know, we can do what we're, we're limited by our own selves. Would you not agree? Oh, absolutely. And I and I think not to down on or dog on myself, but I think that I have limited myself. And when I see all that. Uh, all that you do and all that is possible, whether or not my likings or my ideas are parallel to yours or not, I just see the possibilities and it is super encouraging. And I love to be around people that encourage me because I feel like my heart is an encourager. So you are giving back to me just by sharing with me and particularly on the podcast. So I thank you. Look, one more kind of question looking to those, oh, little nature birdies or somebody's making a noise so just know people but this is i'm like breaking records because i'm doing my podcast next to a creek and this is the first time but um looking to all that you've done you could kind of i would think sign your signature on your life's document and say i'm 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 done <laughs> As, you know essentially i know you wouldn't because i know you enough but you could and have quite a list of accomplishments that would trail behind you. Sure. Um, but knowing all that you've done, what can you imagine that you might want to share with us that you would still like to see happen while you're here uh, on this planet? Yeah, I, I, um, I do have some ambitions 
yet, and uh, I don't, I, I build things. It's just what I do. It's in my nature. It's in my DNA. So I don't think that I could just cash it all in and right. as nice as this lovely creek is and how much <laughs> I would love to sit here uh, every day, uh, you know, that's not in the cards just yet. So mm-hmm. I have, I have a lot of things that I still want to accomplish, but predominantly I would say, you know, my heart and soul still runs through uh, the theater. Yeah. And specifically the Phoenix Theater Company. Yeah. And I think that uh, there's more that a regional theater can do in its community than just the art it puts on stage hmm. and the artists that it employs. I, I think there's a deeper role that I am really trying to explore with our board of directors. Okay. Um, and the way I think it's starting to manifest itself is an exploration of ironically merging my two passions, real estate and theater. But I think for the Phoenix Theater Company, uh, it's important that we find other ways to participate in the community. And that for us right now is manifesting in uh, exploring affordable housing. We have a lot of property, if you've been to our campus, uh-huh. uh, uh, open surface parking lots that are near downtown Phoenix. It's not the best and highest use purpose. If we could put a parking structure on them and crown them with some kind of, um, you know, affordable housing or workforce housing. Um, you know, Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the country, and we have an opportunity right now uh, that won't be there in a few years to um, uh, escape what's happened in other major cities where artists uh, get pushed out of the center core of the city where right. all of the arts and culture venues are. As right. infill comes in, as business comes in, we're already seeing it in Phoenix with skyrocketing rents. And so I think we have a, a role to play uh, uh, if we choose to play it. And and I know that our board supports that. And like everything in my life, I don't have a clue how to do affordable housing, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to explore this and we're going to have conversations about this. And so I think there's much to come over the next three to five years as we tried to uh, think differently yeah. about the role of uh, regional theater can play in its community. And so tell me, we can end with this question. Tell me, why is theater, regional obviously, because what we're speaking of, why is theater so vital to our community? Oh, it, it, it uh, sounds cliche, but it illuminates our intellectual neighborhood. The, the ability to especially right now in a, such a polarized environment to walk in and for two hours we're not uh, Republicans or Democrats. We're not uh, necessarily the people who we identify ourselves to be outside those walls and, and identify ourselves to be in terms of our relationship with our, our neighbors and neighborhood. But we are for two hours together. Mm. Uh, experiencing something, empathizing. Yes. Um, and I, that changes us fundamentally. Uh, it's the it's the only art form I can think of that does that. Uh, because you're experiencing something together in a live environment with people you likely, most likely disagree with on a number of fronts. And I think it can really change people's perspective, hearts and minds and and, and we saw that. We saw that when we produced Americano in Phoenix. Uh, was the most recent example of, it was a very polarizing subject, inviting people into our home, 
into our audience to experience one person's um, story. And uh, I don't care who you were, you didn't leave that auditorium without feeling some new sense of understanding. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, and it poking at some entrenched beliefs you probably had about a population of people um, that uh, I think are misunderstood mm -hmm. and misrepresented. Mm -hmm. That's what theater can do. Yeah. Live theater specifically yeah. has that kind of power to transform people's lives. Yes. And so uh, I think that's why I'm so passionate about yeah. uh, working and living in that space. Well, wow, that was one eloquent, I'm glad it's recorded because it was one eloquent explanation and sharing and um, resonates with me so much and, and makes me want to uh, get in another show. And um, because it is, and not to be cliche either, but it is, a, uh, it bridges gaps, but it is a healing thing. You know, we all have these little things that make us lean one way or the other, and they might come from good places, but they also might come from uneducated and, and misunderstood places as well. And that is exactly what, you, everything that you said is really what, what is so beautiful about, and, and so, um, which makes it so valuable. And I mean, in terms of, of giving it support financially and, and in every way that we can. And I think that is one exciting, the affordable housing thing, like what? That is so, so cool, Vincent. That is so cool. Well, I know you have a busy day ahead of you and we're all kind of heading out and going our ways, but I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, my friend, for one, suggesting that we do this Creekside because it is monumental and I now everything is going to pale in comparison. Um, my little studio at home, uh, but uh, for taking the time to share with me. I mean, I, I, I knew it would be a lovely conversation. I just didn't know it would be this lovely. Well, thank you for that. All right, and sweetheart. I appreciate you. I know you do. I know you show me love and care and I, I pick up that this is a mutual thing and I dig that about you. Well, y'all, this has been a beautiful start to my day. I hope that yours has been equally so. And we will be back with Vincent at some point, catching up on all that he's doing. But I, I love you, listening audience, and I'll be with you next week.